Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie. And on this episode, we finally get to reorder our lists. I've been waiting for this for literally 10 episodes. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, I think we I think we talked about this like 10 episodes ago, um, and it's finally happening. We backed ourselves into corners early on, and now we're going to finally get to correct that. Thank goodness. I am so happy about this. Uh, so obviously, this is a different sort of episode than we have ever done before. Um, I'm kind of excited to just kind of get to talk about... Uh, certain particular movies get to revisit them um but i think the way we're going to structure this is we'll go through our top 10 what our old list was and what our new list was do the same for bottom 10 and then we'll kind of pick out like what were movies that kind of moved up the list the most for each of us what moved down the list the most for each of us why that might be the case. And then we can hit on like any particular movies we want to talk about. There were a couple like discussion topics that I came up with um, that we'll hit on. And then we also got a couple questions from listeners on Twitter because last minute yesterday, I was like, oh, maybe we should like ask listeners if there's anything that they want us to cover. Um, So we have a couple of those that we'll, we'll then hit on if that works for you. Of course. I mean, what am I going to say? No. <laughs> I mean, you could. I'll edit it out. But um, I'm pretty sure there's an episode where you tell me I'm exactly right. So that's probably what I would edit in. Hello, police. I would like to <laughs> report a robbery of ideas. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, blink twice if you're okay. Too bad it's an audio medium. Um <laughs> All right. So do you want to go through your old top 10 and new top 10 first? Yeah. So I'll I'll go through my top 10, I guess. I'll give my new top 10. Um, and after each, I'll just tell you where it used to be. So Okay, cool. Um, in my top 10 at number one, I have Gone with the Wind. That is up one spot. Casablanca at number two, up two spots. All Quiet on the Western Front at three, down two spots. I don't know why... I was so into that movie, but I'm like, there are a couple that are a little bit better or a lot better. Um, my fourth is All About Eve, which is one spot up, followed by Rebecca, two spots down, Bridge on the River Kwai, which is up like six full spots. So again, wow. like kind of when I thought about these, I had the war films or war adjacent films kind of in order of what I wanted them and was like, I ultimately really think this deserves to be in my top 10. So, um, yeah, I know that's a genre that in general doesn't really speak to you. And we've talked on the podcast, I think with pretty much every war film we've had about how the war films that so far at least have one best picture seem to be a little atypical of like what you would think of when you think of that genre in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, I was not expecting a jump like that from a war film for you, but oh, that's interesting. I hope that's one you decide to like pick apart later. Yeah. Um, at number seven, I've been heard. That's like neutral. Apparently, I think it is worthy of top 10. Uh, probably not the top of my top 10s. And really, honestly, only because of the chariot race. So fair enough. That is what it is. Um, at number eight, I have on the waterfront. So that's up three spots and then at number nine it happened one night down one spot and finally sound of music which i moved up for so 
kind of, when I think about my top 10, it feels like, or at least to me, I tried to pick the best of each kind of genre sort of, of film. It's a, it's Um, a good mix. So yeah, it, it was a struggle to compare like sound of music to bridge on the river Kwai. (laughs) Like, let's be honest here. Um, I, a hundred percent agree. There are definitely ones that I was like, is this movie better than this movie? Or is it just a completely different type of movie? And I have an affinity to one genre or like vibe of movie over another. Yeah, it's well, I mean, it's a hundred percent subjective. <laughs> oh, yes. And I mean, ultimately, I think some of my decisions later down in the list do come down to personal preference. Um mm-hmm. So if you take like Gentleman's Agreement and A Man for All Seasons, so in my new list, that's the Gentleman's Agreement's at 24, A Man for All Seasons at 25. Like at some point, I thought that the performances were pretty good. The themes were appropriately weighty. But ultimately, I liked Gentleman's Agreement more. I mean, it's at number 24. Yeah, 24. So I didn't like it that much, but it was an okay film. (laughs) No, I definitely, I agree. I definitely had ones where I was like looking at two films and I was like, what should, like, what's the better film? And then I was like, they're just, they're both the same amount of good in different ways and which way seems to speak Mm -hmm. more to me. Um, Okay, so my top 10 list, my new one is number one, Casablanca. That has moved zero spaces. Why am I not surprised? Still number one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My number two is now On the Waterfront, which jumped up four spaces. Whoa. I think about that movie a lot. Like, it's just one that I find myself thinking about, and I... It was just so blown away by like cinematography and performances and score. Like, it Mm -hmm. just, it really hit me a certain way it also is like all about like the types of themes that i love which is like the the small guy fighting against the man Mm -hmm. like i love that kind of thing um number three is all quiet on the western front that did not move at all for me i i really like that one is so surprising to me because like there are bits where the performances come off a little stiff every now and then for sure but i think that movie considering that it was the third one we did mm-hmm. it was back in 1930 like it it holds up so well and is still so incredibly powerful um so the fact that that one like and i really thought about that one that that didn't change at all for me was really like cool yeah. i think well and i think that movie is really a perfect example of a situation in which the whole is greater than the sum of its parts like Agreed. as a full product that movie is phenomenal i yeah it's the i still think about those trenches scenes sometimes Mm -hmm. like it's it's just it's such effective storytelling so yeah i mean that one was always going to be top 10 but yeah it's my number three my number four is gone with the wind which is actually down two places it used to be my number two um we reference that movie a lot when we talk about epics because we have watched a lot of movies that are three four hours long we've said it before i'll say it again the oscars love an epic and we always kind of tout gone with the wind as like the one that shows you how to pace a movie that long Mm -hmm. because it really is like action-packed and keeps moving and i a lot of the characters are really interesting but i think there's a point that you made on the episode about um just like 
it's really hard with like the way the social politics age like it and I think you actually directly compared it to All Quiet on the Western Front where you were like there's because of the message of All Quiet on the Western Front and the way that like it doesn't have those social politics that have aged really poorly like there's kind of like this unimpeachable quality to it Mm -hmm. and then also just like I think when we did Gone with the Wind it was one that I had seen before coming into the podcast so I like was familiar with it And we also, there were, like, we hadn't seen On the Waterfront yet. And, like, On the Waterfront, I had never seen before. And it, like, blew me out of the water in a way that I don't think fully resonated at the time. Yeah, blew you all the way back Um, to the waterfront. That was terrible. (laughs) I know. My number five is All About Eve. That didn't change at all. Um, It Happened One Night is my number six. That has come down two spots. I am shocked you put... It happened one night higher than me. Shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that should surprise nobody. Um, In the Heat of the Night is number seven. That didn't move at all. Rebecca is still my number eight. It also didn't move. Lost Weekend, number nine. That also didn't move. Um, My number 10 is Tom Jones, which came up three spots. Oh, and let me tell you, Tom Jones, for me, is number 11. It's that's the one that I find myself recommending to people all the time. It's such like a sleeper hit in my mind. It like, really is. It nobody really knows is. about it, but it's such a delight. I think I've recommended it to like three different people this week alone. <laughs> it's like, ooh, let me see this hidden gem. <laughs> I know. They were like, I'm running out of stuff to watch during quarantine. And I was like, oh, really? Because <laughs> have I got a suggestion for you? <laughs> So I would say, by and large, my top 10 is actually pretty intact. I think the only the only movie that moved into top 10 that wasn't previously in top 10 was Tom Jones. And it bumped down um, How Green Was My Valley. But other than that, like, my top 10 has mostly, they've pretty much stayed the same. It's just a slight reshuffling. Yeah, I think for the most part, mine's a reshuffling. Bridge on the River Kwai came way up. And yeah. on the waterfront and sound of music. So those three were the only two. And that actually pushed pushed Tom Jones out of my top ten. <laughs> yeah. So still close though. Okay, now do we want to talk? Do you want to talk bottom ten or bottom five? Um I think five is probably better. Okay, let's do bottom five. Yeah, so my bottom five is actually very it only one changed there, which Ultimately, I'm not really surprised because looking at what's there, it's the ones we probably don't think you should bother watching. So uh, at the very bottom, it is uh, number 42, The Broadway Melody of 1929. Um, My comment for this is literally just, what? It's so bad. <laughs> I. It was the first they were, talking. They were working... They were working through some stuff. Exactly. So I found the storylines completely not compelling. Didn't age well. There's a lot of things like you talked with in Gone with the Wind that didn't age so well. Here it was just like, am I watching a soap from 1929? So yes. I, and, and not a good soap by any means. So I, yeah, don't, don't bother with it maybe bother with the very first scene where you can see the director being like oh my god we have sound let's have all of the different sounds all at once 
<laughs> Do you remember that That's opening one of the sequence? Ones, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that movie better than I wish I did, honestly. Um, but I will say it's one of those ones where I'm like, if you're if you're like a movie geek, that is actually one that I would say watch because it's like a fun kind of in joke with other like yeah. movie nerds. I yeah. mean, if you watch it kind of like how we watch The Room. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning with a large drink and a good level of snack. Yep. yep. <laughs> um, so at my number 41, so that's second from the bottom, I have Cavalcade. So I think this is shared by a lot of people, showing like having this near the bottom. Really for me, I didn't find it particularly relatable. Maybe some of our British listeners would feel differently because um, I know it did focus more on British history. But so much of that movie was much too heavy-handed for my liking and on top of an already unrelatable film, it it's just not coming for anything. Didn't yeah. think the themes were very universal, I guess, is kind of what I'm getting at. Um, at my number 40, we have The Great Ziegfeld. Uh, way too long, way too self-important, but the sets were cool in one scene. Well, all of the musical <laughs> scenes. But and that's Louise, the thing. Uh, Those were the stage. highlights. <laughs> like yeah. the musical scenes were the highlights, and I still felt like they went on too long. So yeah. uh, it, it felt kind of like a puff piece on steroids. Um, at yeah. number 39 is My Fair Lady. Um, again, issues all around here. I normally really do like Audrey Hepburn. But what the hell was she doing in this role? It was, or was it Leslie Caron? Wait. No, no, no. This was Audrey Hepburn. Okay, good. Please cut that. You, <laughs> the way no, you no, react. No. You, got it, you got it confused with Gigi, which makes sense because they have a lot of the same issues. I Okay, now I don't feel so bad about getting it confused. Yep. Gigi is at my number 35. It's not quite in the bottom five, but it's close. Um, and that's honestly the comparison I made. Is like My Fair Lady, to me, had zero redeeming qualities, except maybe that scene at the very end where... Audrey Hepburn finally gets to tell it to What's-His-Face through song. The only reason that My Fair Lady is not in my bottom 10 is because I thought that in general the songs were better than the songs in Gigi, and it had a coherent plot. Such a high bar you set for your <laughs> films. <laughs> um, and so rounding out my bottom five is The Greatest Show on Earth. Um kind of my take on this is there was a lot of flash in this and there were many scenes that I think in and of themselves were interesting the way that they were shooting in the circus tent all of that great it just went on way 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 too long and by the time we reached the end I didn't care enough about really any of the characters yeah they like lost yeah. me along the way fair enough so all of yours, yours was more of like a reordering or did anything move into or out of your bottom 10? So let's see here. Or your bottom five, sorry. Um. Yes, I had. So Broadway Melody and Cavalcade stayed where they were. Uh, Great Ziegfeld and My Fair Lady both moved down a spot. Oh, it was just a complete reordering. Yeah. So I decided to put Greatest oh. Show on Earth above My Fair Lady and Great Ziegfeld, but the films themselves didn't change. Interesting. Um, so my bottom five, number 42 is, of course, same as you, Broadway Melody 1929. It is like it, it you can just tell that it's a 
movie that is learning an entirely new technology. Um, but like, I agree with you. Like the characters are thin. The plot is thin. It's just a very thin movie. Um, but very loud. My num- But very loud. My <laughs> number 41 is also Cavalcade. It's just, it's kind of boring. Like it's just kind of boring. Well, it's supposed to be a recap of like huge events. Like it's not supposed to be boring. <laughs> no, it was it it was like heavy-handed. It was kind of boring. I remember bits of it, but I don't remember it super well if I'm being honest. I remember two scenes. The Titanic scene, super heavy-handed. I remember that one. And the ending yep. scene where they're all like, "Oh, but it's all okay. I love you." I remember the train station scene. Oh, see, I don't remember that. Oops. See, that that's, that <laughs> one and the Titanic ones are the two that I like picture. Um, My number 40 is, like you, also The Great Ziegfeld. That actually moved down a place for me. It used to be number 39. I used to have Ziegfeld above Cimarron, but I swapped those two because when I was thinking about it, like Ziegfeld, I agree, like it's long, it's kind of boring. Like there were a couple like highlights in it, but not nearly enough to set off like just what a slog it was whereas with Cimarron well I would argue that like Cimarron I think actually had more like technical issues as far as like editing and structure and then it also had a lot more like social issues than Ziegfeld it was more interesting to watch because there was and I actually really love our episode on Cimarron because I think there was like a core idea handling westward expansion and like racism that could have been explored like there was a seed of an idea that could have been really interesting and because of that i think it has to go above ziegfeld because i don't even like the premise to ziegfeld doesn't even really interest me that much Mm -hmm. whereas i'm like cimarron under the right like in the right hands with like the right changes could have been something yeah well cimarron for me is at six from the bottom so i we placed it similarly yeah and i i feel like your reasoning is probably the same like it's it's a good one to talk about um and there's like an interesting core concept yeah um my number 38 is all the king's men which actually fell down a spot um and that like the editing is just such a nightmare the editing is such a nightmare there's like one good performance in the one maybe two good performances in the film like I think the writing's like not great I've read the book I don't think it's a good adaptation and I didn't even like the book Mm -hmm. well and for me my comment for that film is that the editing is not just bad it's unforgivable like it's so bad it it completely destroys the movie for me so that's my new bottom five as far as things that came in and out of my bottom five uh basically uh greatest show on earth moved out of my bottom five and all the king's men moved into my bottom five so greatest show on earth actually moved up two spaces for me um it used to be my number 38 it's now my number 36 and it's kind of same idea as cimarron like the movie itself is kind of a mess they Mm -hmm. have too many subplots um that they never really spend that much time on performances are not great but the idea of it is so interesting to me. Like the that core storyline of these two competing trapeze artists is I think like so cool and interesting that like if it had been executed better, it could have been really good. So like 
on that promise of like premise, I have to bump it up a couple. Premise, promise. <laughs> yep. No, I check I, that alliteration. I love it. I also I, I do really agree with how you talked about Cimarron. So I think for me, generally in society at large, we are kind of wrestling with how to think about the creative products of primarily men or almost exclusively men that turn out to be kind of trash humans. And that kind Well, and often like white upper class men. And that's reflected in Cimarron directly, like directly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like that is something that I've realized with like a lot of these films. And I think I can't remember what episode I said it in, but I think I've said it on the podcast I'm a big fan of the idea of you don't remake a film that was a success. I mean, I know why people do that because they're like, it'll definitely draw a box office, but it's almost always a disappointment. So don't remake something that was a success. Remake something that wasn't a success, that was a failure, but had a really interesting idea behind it. Like, that's the remake I want to see is I want I want to see like a greatest show on earth remake. Yeah. I, like, I, I want to see a Cimarron remake with like a completely different take on that story. And I think it could be really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, we mentioned both Gigi and My Fair Lady. I think those could be rewritten in a way that would be extremely captivating. Well, My Fair Lady is an adaptation of the play Pygmalion. So it's already just a bad adaptation. Well, I mean... Why not just turn everything on its head? That could be interesting. (laughs) Yeah, very true. I mean, I'm sure that there's like an adaptation similar out there where you have like the male quote Pygmalion character or Eliza Doolittle character. So what movie in your list fell the most spots in ranking? So for me, it was Marty. And it went from number six to number 19. So wow. it's still middle okay. of the pack, and I still adore Marty. Mm-hmm. I think for me, and I kind of hate myself for saying this, but it's just a little too fluffy. Like the themes, I think, are relatable, and the characters are so lovable. And you're rooting for them all, and you're invested in it. But at the same time, I have a hard time saying that it holds up in my top 10 against the rest of the films there. Like, yeah, it's just that's not Because Marty only fell one space for me. It fell from 11 to 12, but I did not have it in my top 10. Um, but I, I had it primarily because of like the performances, how tight the script was mm-hmm. and how it does hold up. And it is. And that's another that's one of the ones that's hard to rank because it's different from a lot of these best picture winners. I think it's one of the shortest, too. So like it is mm-hmm. such a well it, it's just a well constructed movie in and of itself. Like. Right. Yeah. But like because it's dealing it's not dealing with like I mean, I would argue that it is dealing with like weighty universal themes of Mm -hmm. like you know love and relationships but it's not dealing with something like war and it's not this like big sweeping epic like a lot of our best picture winners are so it can be difficult to compare it to some of these other genres yeah it's like there's pretty there's not a lot like it like it's pretty much marty and like tom jones and to an extent maybe Grand Hotel. Like, I would say those are the only ones that have a similar vibe to them. Mm -hmm. 
and Grand Hotel's not even really like happy. Like it's really like Marty and Tom Jones are really kind of the only two we've had so far that are similar to each other from like that sort of like lighter weight relationship driven Mm -hmm. comedy dramedy. I don't know. Yeah. For me, Marty is, it's just understated in a way that makes it hard for me to put it much higher. Mm -hmm. It's not really doing anything new. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Fair enough. And so how about yours? I'm very curious. My biggest like fallen ranking was around the world in 80 days. It fell six places. So it was number 27 and it fell to number 33. So as I was kind of like looking at that portion of my list, I was like thinking about it in comparison to some of these other films that a lot of them like maybe were flawed, but there was something about them that I enjoyed or like there was something that maybe they tried to do that didn't land but I was like there's not a lot of meat to around the world in 80 days like I enjoyed it more than everything under it although now that I'm looking at it I'm like I would almost swap around the world within 80 days with the greatest show on earth because like at least with the greatest (laughs) show on earth I was like interested in the core premise but Mm -hmm. like with around the world in 80 days like it's pretty cinematography wise like Canton Floss is amazing in it, but like there's not a lot, like we don't really get character arcs. There's like some very problematic stuff in like some of the casting, uh, specifically of like the Indian princess. I mean, it's not trying to do a ton. So I will say that like I think it did kind of what it was trying to do, but it just, it wasn't really like going for much. So I, there's several things I pushed above it. I pushed, um, let me look. Uh, Gentleman's Agreement went above it, even though like I wasn't a huge fan of Gentleman's Agreement. You Can't Take It With You, Mutiny on the Bounty, American in Paris, Hamlet, Wings, like all of those were under it previously. And then I was like, no, all of these movies like did something. You can't see the look that I'm giving Maggie, but the fact that you <laughs> named all those and they were below around the world in 80 days. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> I'm glad you corrected that. Yeah, me too. Because I was like, I was like looking at it and I was like, why is it so high? It shouldn't be. I think you brought up in our recording for Midnight Cowboy, though, that you're the headspace you're in when you watch a movie, at least for me, and I think for you too, really does affect at least how I interpret it and read it and think about it. Oh, absolutely. And then there are like some of these movies that um we're about to talk about gains and there's a couple specifically like this that I want to highlight that were movies that at the time I watched them I was like eh but I found myself thinking about them more and more later on and it just like it was a movie that maybe you had to sit with a little bit for it to like really impact you and then I think there are some of these movies that like moved down my list because like maybe I was wowed at the time like I feel like maybe with Around the World in 80 Days, I was probably pretty... I remember the score being pretty good. Yeah. Well, and the cinematography was world-class. And the cinematography is <laughs> really good. I don't... I don't remember... <laughs> I don't remember what all was a, we watched around Around the World in 80 Days, but, like, maybe we'd had a lot of downers, and this was, like, the first little, like, light piece we'd had in a while or something. We've had many stretches of downers. Like, I... I kind of forgot about that until looking at this. <laughs> Get ready. We're about to go into a decade of them. Nice. Um, Good ones, but downers. 
But like, I think all of those factors can like impact my ranking on the day, but then maybe like, you know, sitting with these films, I'm like, yeah, maybe I was like wowed by it at the time, but then I've seen other stuff since then that's really I like impacted me more over the long term. Because like I think we stated before, like Ian and I usually record within 24 to 48 hours of having watched the movie. So yeah. like we're not really getting to like sit and sort of like marinate with the movie for a long time. There's sometimes when I'm really glad that we do and then other times when I would like more time. So It's a trade-off for sure. Oh, absolutely. Cuz if, if we didn't record that quickly, I would like I would not know the chronology at all and I'm already really bad with the <laughs> chronology. <laughs> oh my goodness. So what was your biggest gain? So my biggest gain was Life of Emile Zola. Um, I don't know why I had that at 32. I've been criticizing you for it since the day it happened. And that was what, like our number 10 best picture yeah. or something. And we're like 40 something <laughs> in. Um, I, I made a choice. It was a choice. It was uh, a bad choice. But really when thinking about it more and... I'll be honest, if I didn't have you explaining to me why I was wrong, I may not have moved it as much. But I do, as much as I... <laughs> what did it, wait, what did it move from into? It is, it moved from 32 to number 17. So it went from like bottom quarter to top half. Wow. And I mean, I will, I will 100% say that that movie is flawed. Like it has pacing problems, not every performance lands in it like yeah but i feel like that's just one that like but the injustice parts of it are, I, the injustice parts of it are so powerful and yeah. that is one where like the themes really land with me you actually now have it ranked higher than i do interesting i didn't move it at all it's still at my number 23 i may have to go back and really watch it it's one of those movies that like it's definitely like my ranking takes into account the fact that like it has pacing problems and some of the performances are not great, but like my love of that movie is higher than my ranking for it. Just on pure Maggie loves this movie and loves watching Emile Zola tell off a corrupt system. It's very satisfying to say the least. I, and I think that was really my largest gain by far. I had a couple that jumped like seven spots and that was Hamlet, actually. So Hamlet moved up seven spots to number 22. And I think really when I think back on it, the visuals stick with me so strongly that I will forgive Olivier's overwrought performance. So Hamlet was one of the ones that jumped the most for me, too. So I had several movies that jumped four places, which is the biggest jumps that I had. But Hamlet was one of them, and it's for the same reason. I find myself thinking about those very cool, innovative visuals a lot of the time to the extent that I'm like, I'll excuse the like, just narcissism <laughs> wrapped up in that <laughs> film with Olivier's performance and the fact that he refused to cast someone who was age appropriate for that role. Or with beefy man thighs. Or with beef, beefy man thighs. <laughs> that is also the episode where we started beefy man thighs. Um, which I talk about also not on this podcast when talking about movies. 
I've discovered. Well, they lots of folks wear lots of tights in lots of movies. So it's surprise <laughs> a surprising amount of tights come up. Um but yeah, so Hamlet jumped four places for me. Um You Can't Take It With You jumped four places for me, but that one really jumped more by virtue of other things falling down. Mm-hmm. Where is it for you now? It's at number thirty one. It wasn't number thirty five. Oh wow. Like it's it's still not high for me. I just it just didn't land for me, but I do think it's tighter than like obviously the stuff I have below it. Yeah. Um I just I found it a little bit bland, a little bit like too neat. It didn't quite like have that I don't know. I don't even know what to call it. I guess like spark that like certain um screwball comedies of that era have. Mm-hmm. I just thought it missed the mark like a little bit. Um <laughs> like it happened one night. Oh, so good. Um, wings went up four places as well. I have had so much trouble with wings because it is our only silent film. And therefore there are so many, like you just have to consider it differently. Mm -hmm. The performances are just completely different. You have to critique them differently because you're like, this is an entirely different way of doing things like it can't necessarily be as subtle as a lot of this other stuff because like you're not hearing every single word of dialogue like you get okay but an interstitial. at the same time clara bow manages to do some of it subtly in such a right. gorgeous way <laughs> oh right, right and then it's still really good but it's just it's always been a difficult one for me to place um but it moved up four spots as well and it it is one that like i don't think my ranking of it necessarily reflects like my liking of it Mm -hmm. if that makes sense um and it definitely doesn't reflect like what i feel about silent film in general i just it's where'd you put it (laughs) it's at number 27 now it was at 31 see mine's at 14 wow yeah you liked that one a lot i I remember i remember you really liked that i you also find the aerial stuff more interesting than i do i could have used a little like i find the fact that like all of that was done with cameras of that age Mm -hmm. and like actual like practical stuff i find that astounding but like watching it for that much time i could have i could have taken some some trims Eh, that's fair that's very fair i do remember many of those dogfighting scenes needing editing but the ending, ugh, so good. Yeah, but that, that's a good one for sure. Um, and then my other one that gained four places was On the Waterfront, which went from my number six to my number two. And that movie, I just, like, I I really, really liked it. And I feel like I, rem- I remember thinking about putting it higher after watching it, but I was like, no, no, I can't do that. But then just, like, the more I've, like the longer time we've had, the more I've thought about it. Like I'm just like, nope, it is it is my number two for sure. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean No. I feel like I was just being stubborn a little bit about some of the stuff that was above it. <laughs> like I feel like I feel like with like it happened one night, I gave you so much crap in that episode that I was like, it can never move. <laughs> when in fact it can. It can. I still stand by everything I said to you in that episode. (laughs) (laughs) But it can move. So there were actually a couple films that I I was a little bit surprised that I decided to move up. Mm -hmm. Top of my list, Bridge on the River Kwai, which I am shocked that I related to that film so much. And that surprised me too when you said that. I was very surprised. 
it's really the performances I find so powerful. That's like the first thing. And then I almost feel that sense of duty and responsibility that, and forgive me, I never remember character names, but Captain What's-His-Face. Alec Guinness. Yes, Alec Guinness. Thank you. (laughs) I don't remember the character name either, Um, but I remember Alec Guinness. Like, I, I relate to that and wanting to do a good job even through adversity. Now, the part that I thought was so, like, grabbed me, put me on the edge of my seat, was when he didn't want the bridge blown up. <laughs> yeah. And so I, the fact that I was so invested in hindsight is what made that so shocking and really highlighted how effective that was for me. I also didn't expect to be, and I'm going to use this word again, so invested in all of the other British soldiers traipsing through the woods to try and blow up the bridge. Like, I don't know. I cared about the people so deeply in a way I don't rarely, don't often, I cared about the people so deeply in a way that I don't often, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's our like plot versus character thing. Cause I'm the opposite where like, I will get super attached to characters. Bridge on the River Kwai is incredibly good from like the performance and the construction where you have like basically two different storylines that are happening but they are both centered around like this one object and they oppose each other Mm -hmm. um so yeah that one i was surprised that you jumped that one up so much especially like into your top 10 but i think like you putting it in your top 10 i'm like yeah no that movie perfectly should fit into a person's top 10 like of course like it's a great movie um just surprised knowing from like how you generally I think felt at the time and then just feel about like that genre in particular. Well, and I think that I, really turned around to how I approach those films. <laughs> good. Cause we've got a couple coming up soon. Well, yeah. You know, just because I feel that way about bridge doesn't mean I'm going <laughs> to feel that way about what's coming up. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure you won't about the next one we're about to do. Um, I was really surprised that I moved up Hamlet so much. Well, I guess mm, past me would have been very surprised about that. But like the me that was actually making this list last night. Older and wiser. (laughs) (laughs) The me that was making this list last night and was like going over everything wasn't so surprised about it because it is a movie that I find myself thinking about a lot. Like I... Just the visuals were so striking, especially like Hamlet's father as like mm-hmm. the ghost. There was like the cool sort of like zoom up that tower that was really cool. Like all of that stuff really stuck with me. Yeah, not going to lie. If I could get a print of that frame, I 100% would hang it on my wall. Like, yeah, it's oh, so good. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, if any of you know where I, to get prints of movie frames, let me know. <laughs> yeah, tweet us. Um, at Best Pictures Pod on Twitter. Um, I also moved up Lawrence of Arabia two places, which it's not a many places, but it like it kind of surprised me. I mean, I moved it up four. So I but that again, it was not because I liked Lawrence, it's because I disliked other movies more. I yeah, I guess it was kind of, well for me it was one of those things where I was like, I still cannot stand the character of Lawrence. I think he's incredibly narcissistic and egotistical and all of that stuff. 
But the fact that that movie, when com- when you know combined with good cinematography, really good performances from other people, aka Omar Sharif, oh yes, and like a really good score. The fact that that movie made me feel so strongly, and even though maybe it was like a negative investment, but I was still invested yeah. in what Lawrence was trying to do. And I've I know a lot of people who really love that movie. And a lot of them really love that first part of the movie, but the second part of the movie, for me, the second half, where you actually see Lawrence have to start facing some consequences and you see him not be able to just like luck and charm himself out of situations and kind of watching that descent into madness, I think that for me made me want to move that movie up a little bit. I know at the time we watched it, we were just so incredibly frustrated (laughs) with him as a character, but I, you know, taking a step back, I was like, well, even if I didn't like the character, like I still had this very strong reaction to him. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think that's worth something like versus a movie where I was just like, I do not care what happens to these characters at all. Yeah. I think for me, Lawrence of Arabia did shine in its cinematography and its performances, like you said. And so when I was thinking about where to put it, I was thinking like, okay, where is the lowest I would feel comfortable with a movie with those qualities having? And that puts it about number 26 for me. Yeah, I think with both of us, oh, number 26, it's number 16 for me. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, the inability to edit and the insufferable Lawrence. That's that's David Lean for you. I mean, but, that's so but bridge, funny though. Bridge on the River. I know. Kwai. I was about to say that's hilarious because you love Bridge so much. And bridge but see, they're so, so different. Much. The Bridge on the River Kwai, it's lingering. They could use some trimming. Both of them could. But I here's my my theory is that the further on you get in David Lean's career the more indulgent he gets and just the still shot of somebody looking longingly into a distant, beautiful landscape because bridge is the first one of his we did. Then we did Lawrence and we didn't do this one because it didn't win, but it got nominated. Dr. Zhivago. (laughs) (laughs) I, I still need to see Dr. Zhivago. Maybe I'll do that tonight. But you, you do, but it oh don't don't watch it. It's like a lazy Sunday. You don't have anything else to do. You're partially watching it, partially scrolling through social kind of. Yeah, I'll go thing. play Animal Crossing and watch it. I finally <laughs> I finally watched it. I re- very distinctly remember the first time I watched it. The only time I've watched it. Um, it was like a Sunday afternoon in college, and I was like doing homework, and none of my roommates were in, so I had like full control over the television, and I was like saw that it was on like TCM or something. I was like, I've never seen it before. I'll put it on in the background. And it was perfect for that. (laughs) Oh, I was thinking Dr. Strangelove. Oh, that you should watch tonight. Wrong film. Both doctors, (laughs) wrong film. That's, that's okay. I want to actually talk about that movie (laughs) a little bit later. Um, Okay, so moving on to, um, as I said, I kind of last minute, because I'm not great at running social media, was like, oh, we should open this up and see if like any of our listeners have any questions about like the movies we've done so far, like the podcast in general. And so we got a couple, and they're really good. Um, so Cinemusts tweeted us, what are the biggest Oscar snubs from the year's movies you've covered so far? Picture, acting, directing, whatever categories come to mind. 
I can give you a moment to think if you want, because I had two that immediately came to mind. I Oh, Jesus. I don't, because you do background, you remember all of this. I don't do background, so I don't. It's not because I do background, Ian. It's because I'm petty. Oh, because <laughs> I honestly, Correction. and I will admit this, like, holy shit, I do not remember enough of the other one. <laughs> okay, pull up. I will let you pull up the nominations list and I'll go through the ones that I thought of. So the immediate first thought that I had was, you mentioned this one earlier, Dr. Strangelove losing to My Fair Lady in 1964. So given how horrible I think My Fair Lady is, I 100% agree with you, having not seen any other film. I need you to watch Dr. Strangelove <laughs> like tonight because I need you to understand how big of a snub that was. It It is no mystery how we both feel about My Fair Lady. Dr. Strangelove is so cool and unique and inventive, and it's got this great commentary on like the Cold War, which actually isn't something we've really seen in any of our Best Picture winners for the most part. Mm-hmm. We haven't really seen any Cold War commentary, which is interesting. But it's just, it's so much better. Like, it's just such a good <laughs> film. I don't know how to like say more about it other than it's just better and it's actually good. Whereas I don't think my fair lady is. So like that snub is big for me. If we're talking about just like other nominees that were snubbed, another one that immediately came to mind was the fact that around the world in 80 days won in 1956, but the searchers wasn't nominated for anything and the searchers oh, thank you for bringing that up because that is one that you made me watch yes and i made it you is watch that. We... a fucking crime that that around at the, the world. very <laughs> minimum it wasn't nominated for cinematography yeah like like what bare minimum not not to mention just like writing directing and performance for john wayne it's it's so good we did it as a special episode um for like our father's day special last year um but the fact that like that got zero nominations for anything and then around the world in 80 days one i think is ridiculous i think that's a huge snub oh yeah i think like looking through to to be completely candid maggie does the background (laughs) and maggie has also seen a lot more classic film than me (laughs) so i am stretching here yeah this is this is a better this is one of those questions that like it'll be flipped when we get into more of like 2000 stuff where ian will have seen a lot surprise, more and I'll be I, like, I don't know what these movies things are in this millennia <laughs> but but i think like looking through and kind of refreshing my memory there are a couple here i do actually struggle with the best years of our lives over it's a wonderful life because interesting i am i honestly think it's a wonderful life has aged so much better than the best years of our lives um it is a tighter film like so much and maybe it kind of we we also did a special episode on that we did (laughs) although i had watched it before the special episode so thank goodness (laughs) for that but it almost feels like it suffers from the marty effect in some ways when you put it up against the best years of our lives yeah, where people are like, it's too feel good, it's too nice. Whereas exactly. like Best Pictures, they love a downer. Which 
I that's fine, but like also it was give also me more really Tom Jones. Good. Yeah. Oh my God! Please, I want more Tom Jones so much. Yeah. The other one that I noticed, so I noted the two that like came immediately to mind. Um, the other one that I kind of noted scrolling through was a uh, "Going My Way, Winning Over Gaslight" in 1944. It also won over Double Indemnity, which I also think is a better movie than "Going My Way." I just don't think "Going My Way" is a very strong movie. I have it ranked pretty far down on my list, and I think both Gaslight and Double Indemnity were stronger nominations for that year, especially Gaslight. That may be influenced by the fact that I've been listening to the Dixie Chicks' latest song, Gaslighter, on repeat <laughs> for the past couple of days. But Wonderful song to listen to. It's amazing. I'm trying to remember if there were any, like, I feel like recently there were a couple acting lack of noms. Um. Oh, we were upset by, or at least I was upset by John Wayne winning for True Grit over Dustin Hoffman and Midnight Cowboy. I was upset about that one. Yeah. I think that's a big snub. But the re- the whole reason behind that, though, is that for John Wayne, it was a career Oscar because he'd previously gotten snubbed for The Searchers. So basically, you just provided the Oscars fix for that scenario. I don't like when they do that, though, because then it means... Oh, it's the whole thing that I have strong feelings about. I mean, you can't rewrite history, but you can try. Mm, some people will try. Oh, yeah, that's true. That is very true. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any other acting ones that I strongly think of. Um, and I could have sworn. It oh, was... I'm gonna I'm gonna say the greatest show on earth winning over the Quiet Man. Totally agree. And or or probably greatest show on earth winning over High Noon. I have not actually seen High Noon, but I know it's very much praised. So as far as acting noms, I think. Maggie and I both agree that Sidney Poitier not even getting nominated for his performance in In the Heat of the Night is absurd. Like, yeah, dude killed it. Yeah, I think we both wanted to see him get nominated for that. Rod Steiger won that year, though, for In the Heat of the Night, and he did do a really good job. Yeah, but Sidney wasn't but even the nomi- nominated. The nomi- yeah, the nomination. <laughs> sub- I, yeah, I don't know... Uh, I wonder if there was a. Oh, I feel like pitting those two performances against each other is really hard. So I can't say for like actual award, but for nomination, for sure, Sydney should have been nominated. That was a strong year, though, for best actors. I'm looking at the category. Mm -hmm. That was a strong year. Because it was Warren Beatty for Bonnie and Clyde, Dustin Hoffman for The Graduate, Paul Newman for Cool Hand Luke, and Spencer Tracy for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. That's a strong year. It's also a strong year for actresses. Damn. That was a good year for film. Wasn't like 1939, though. <laughs> 1939, my God. That was the other one where... Well, like 1939, you're like, every film that was nominated that year got snubbed because every single film that was nominated that year deserved to win Best Picture, including the one that won Best Picture. Like, they're all just... Yeah. It's just like... It's like film after film that is just been considered like a classic it's like film after film that whenever you're talking about classic film you name that film like it's insane 1950 was another year like that where it's a lot of good stuff because you had like all about eve and sunset boulevard yeah it's tough because there are some years where you're like man the field was really thin and then there are some years where you're like oh why couldn't like one or two of these films come out the following year because this year is just so stacked yeah I was about to say I was going to be disappointed that Sunset Boulevard wasn't nominated for stuff, but it was nominated and won plenty. So 
we're good. Yeah, it was nominated for a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, and it and it lost to All About Eve. Yeah, so I, which I like, got nothing. I think personally, I'm a Sunset Boulevard fan, but I can't I can't say it got snubbed because All About Eve is also absolutely amazing. Like I think either one of those choices is phenomenal. Agreed. I'm honestly very excited to go back and start watching some of the other nominees to really kind of flesh out my perspective. I am too. I think um, we haven't really talked in depth about what we want to do once we like catch up with Best Pictures, but I think it'd be really cool if we went back and started watching like nominees from those years. Totally agree. Um, okay, so other question we got from a listener. Let me pull it up. Um, the Everyday Cinephile asked us, do you think the Academy should have continued handing out the Best Unique and Artistic Picture Award instead of discontinuing it after the first awards? Also, what Best Picture winners could have also won Most Artistic? So I don't know if you remember this, but when we, it was way back in our first episode when mm-hmm. we did Wings. We talked about how that year there was the, be- the, what was it? It was like Most Outstanding Picture Award, which is technically what Wings won. And then there was also Most Unique and Artistic Picture, which was won by a film called Sunrise, The Song of Two Humans. Um, With a name or like a that, song of two how humans. can it not be? <laughs> well, I've heard, I've heard that that's absolutely amazing. I've not seen that one. I really, really want to. I've heard it's absolutely amazing. So I guess the question is, we'll start with the first part. Like, Do you think they should have discontinued that award? I wish that we still had it. I'm a little torn because I think in some ways we kind of do have that award. Like I think, so I was actually reading a New York Times article today about the first Academy Awards and like the most unique and artistic versus like most outstanding picture. And it added this kind of like interesting layer of perspective where when the first Academy Awards were happening, Hollywood had actually had like three pretty major scandals happen like right around that time. And a lot of the like pro-prohibition people were using like Hollywood and film and that as like a argument for like the morality of the country going downhill and like needing to like ban stuff like alcohol. And butts. And butts. <laughs> That's that's later, Ian. They don't ban butts until 1934. Yeah, but if they could have. Um, <laughs> if they could have, they would have. Um, so going into that, when you have Wings winning, which of course Wings also does like some amazing technical advancement as well as being just a solid movie, but there is definitely like this patriotic undertone to Wings in the aftermath of World War One, and kind of it's being this huge success at the box office and like the prominence of like stars like Clara Bow and stuff like that, where it's a little bit like squeaky clean kind of. So giving it the most outstanding picture is like, no, 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 no. Hollywood. Like we're, we're patriotic. We're like pro America. We're like moral. Like all of that stuff. We really wanted to win, but here's the, here's the (laughs) film that was like artistic and different and unique. So there's, I think a very interesting political and social component to the Oscars. I do think, especially in like recent years, and you see it kind of like fluctuate throughout the history of the Oscars, where some years it is very much like the the movie that seems like politically correct. Or if we want to just look at the 1960s Oscar winners as an entire decade, it's all over the place. And a lot of those movies that win, you're like, this has 
absolutely nothing about like what is happening in the country and society as a whole at the time. Like it's just pure escapism. But then you also have other movies that are like social commentaries or they're like very artsy and different and nuanced. I feel like so much, I feel like they're kind of outstanding picture and most unique and artistic picture have kind of combined into one award and which one it is depends on like what's going on at the time. Yeah. If that makes sense. Agreed. Well, and I think a good example of that, Maggie, is the recent debacle between La La Land and Moonlight. Because to be quite frank, if they had two awards, I would bet money that La La Land would have been outstanding and Moonlight would have been most unique and artistic. Like, yeah. And for once, I've actually seen two of them and both of them. So. <laughs> I've actually seen neither of those. They're, they are both worth the watch. I mean, one of them I will have to watch eventually. One of them I probably won't watch until I have to. But um, I, no, I agree where it, it is. It I think that some years that award still exists and it's called Best Picture. And then I think some years you're like, man, I wish we still had this award because like the other one definitely would have gotten it. And to me, a great example of that is My Fair Lady and Dr. Strangelove. Like, mm-hmm. I think Dr. Strangelove takes unique and artistic. Well, I think it should have just taken best anyway, because there's nothing about My Fair Lady that's out- outstanding, let's be honest. But, you know, if we're talking about, like, kind of set up as this, like, pretty visual, has, like, a really prominent actress at its core cast, like, kind of doesn't really ruffle any feathers populist sort of picture you have my fair lady and then you have dr strangelove that is actually like you have peter sellers playing multiple parts it's a commentary on the cold war it's got beautiful visuals it's at a time when technicolor is all the rage now it's black and white yeah so it did a lot of things a lot of yeah things. like i i feel like that's a good example where like that's a year when i'm like god i wish we still had that award because that's what would have won it and then i think there are other years where you look at something like, um, I don't know, West Side Story, mm-hmm. where I think West Side Story, it takes best picture. I think West Side Story is one that could easily have taken an artistic and unique. While it's not one of my favorites, I think like it's doing something that is different and artsy and unique. Yeah, agreed. Well, and for me, I, I find that I probably like films that are considered artsy and unique more than Oscar bait. <laughs> Agreed. I'm always, I go into Oscar bait. Like I'm a little like, mm, this is Oscar bait. You're trying to make yeah. me feel things, which means I don't want you to make me feel things. Um, I wouldn't say I necessarily go for artsy films. I go for weird films. But that's the thing for, for me. Yeah, I, feel I, put, like... I put emphasis on the unique. Mm-hmm. I feel like, though, that award gives license to the Academy voters to highlight something that is genuinely good that's outside of the mainstream. Now, I am. Yeah. I'm I think, I think like, like I said, I think they've done that in recent years with the best picture. Mm-hmm. I feel like there has been kind of this turn with the Academy where they kind of like thumb their nose at anything that is, quote, popular. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw like there was such a big deal about Black Panther being nominated for Best Picture. Right. Because people were like, I mean, it's hard to get more popular and like mainstream than Marvel movies right now with, you know, whether you like them or don't. It's completely fine. 
Um, that sounds uh, like a very self-serving uh, comment right there. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit, not a huge fan of most of them. Haven't seen most of them, have no desire to see most of them. That's I like, like two of them. I pretty much share but, like, the same sentiment. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know what I mean? We're like, it's hard to get more like popular than that. But Black Panther is the only one that has gotten like a main category mm-hmm. nomination that wasn't like some sort of technical award. So I feel like there's been, it, it just depends on where you are mm-hmm. in the time, like the timeline of the Oscars as to whether or not like, they're leaning more towards awarding something that would fall under that unique and artistic versus something that would fall under like that more like outstanding as in like popular and mainstream. And to be honest, like my lofty ideal of actually highlighting something that's a bit out of the mainstream, who knows if that's what actually would happen with that award. Like, yeah, I, I like the idea of it because I think it could be really, really cool, but yeah, I don't there's so much politicking that goes on mm-hmm. and like campaigning and stuff. That being said though, I do like I don't know. I I'm don't think that every movie deserves an award. So let me be clear up front with that. <laughs> but at the same time, being able to highlight really good films, which regardless of how it went, that additional award would, um, I'm I'm pretty much on board. And I do think there are other awards that kind of will highlight facets of that. Because when I think of something, I'm like, okay, it's unique and artistic. I'm like, does it have really interesting cinematography? Does it have a really interesting score? Does it do something with writing or structure that's like unique and different? There are some awards. So like cinematography has been around since the beginning. I think that's like a good way of highlighting something that you're like, okay, maybe it's not going to win best picture, but it it did do like something really cool and unique here. Like there's, I think so much artistry in cinematography. There's also editing, which didn't come around until 1934, which I think can highlight some of that. Um, You know, sometimes people try and do something unique with editing, like with all the King's men and it fails, but sometimes they do things that are really cool. Um, score, which came around in 1934, I think is another way of highlighting stuff like that. Visual effects, which didn't happen until 1939. I think that's a great way. I mean, now it's all just like who has the longest, most drawn out CGI fight scene. But like, that was a cool way, I think, of like highlighting and rewarding like people who did stuff like interesting visually and like also advanced the technology there and then also best original screenplay which didn't happen until 1940 so i think the addition of some of those categories kind of help fill fill the void of that unique and artistic Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit and then i guess the second part of that question was like what films do you think won best picture that also could have won that award tom jones hands down I I think Tom Jones would be a good one for that. Um, I also had one. I think Doctor Strangelove would have taken it that year, even though that one didn't win Best Picture. Um, I thought How Green Was My Valley. I feel like that could have won a unique and artistic. That's interesting, because I don't think I got the artistic so much out of it. It's beautiful, Ian. And like the way they use the score, the cinematography is gorgeous. I, I that movie was also like I feel like unique to what was going on around it. I think um, I think the Lost Weekend would have a good shot at that Ooh, award. Agree with that. So good. I love that one. Um, 
Ian, did you move that one up in your list because you needed to? Oh, I absolutely did. Last weekend for me ended up at number 16, which was up six spots. Oh, thank God, because I know you had that one so much lower. Um, I think Hamlet would have a good chance at that award. Yes, despite that performance. Despite that performance, but visually and editing-wise, it's so interesting. I feel like I remember liking the score, too, but I'm not sure. I think On the Waterfront would have a shot at that award, potentially. I think West Side Story, like I mentioned, would also have a shot at that award. So I think we've definitely had things that have won Best Picture that I think would also have a really good chance at like a unique and artistic. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, I really do want that award back now, though. I feel like what that becomes is that every Marvel movie now wins Best Picture because it did the most of the box office. It's like when they were saying that they were going to introduce that like achievement and popularity award and everybody freaked out and was like, don't you dare. And they were like, fine. (laughs) I mean... But then all, half the time, like, like we'll get to it eventually, but, like, when the artist won, I was like, it's because all these people who have never seen a black and white movie or a talkie or singing in the rain think that this is new and unique. I have seen the artist. It's been a while. I'm a, I'm a snob about the artist. I mean, it's good. Yeah. I just don't think it should have won Best Picture. So it's not an unworthy film, necessarily. It's unworthy. It's just Maggie's a little bit of a snob <laughs> about it. <laughs> Movies is the only thing I'm a snob about. That's a That's lie. That's a complete a lie. <laughs> I'm a snob about books. Oh, yes. We had that discussion, too. <laughs> we did have that discussion over text. Oh, week. my goodness. I still don't know if I'm a snob or not. Jury's still out. I say no, but uh, I say half. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking at the artist. I guess the artist could have, we're not there yet. So that one could have won unique and artistic, but I feel like Warhorse also could have won unique and artistic. No, that's a lie. I'm thinking about Warhorse, the stage play. Oh. Where they use the giant puppets. Yeah. I'm just thinking about Shape of Water, and that's 100% a unique and artistic film. <laughs> but not a best picture. Um, I actually did see five of those films, and. Ooh. Because the only one I've actually seen out of any of those is Lady Bird, which I really, really liked. Lady Bird. Oh, it is so, so good. I love it. Greta Gerwig is one of my two favorite working directors. Mm -hmm. Get Out was phenomenal. Call Me By Your Name I loved. I didn't see the rest, though. Yeah. Well, I think all the ones you named, I feel like, were the biggest contenders. I could see Call Me By Your Name, but the premise of that still has some problems. Gotcha. But that that's a source material thing, not a movie thing. Yeah, which is a whole other question within itself of, like, how much do you blame the movie versus the source material? Because, like, the movie theoretically has the power to change that, but then, like, are they all... I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of gray area. Okay, so I guess the last thing that I thought we could talk about that would be interesting is what were your favorite movies to discuss? Because for me, a lot of times the movies I have enjoyed talking about the most and as kind of a connection to that, the ones that I think make some of our best episodes and are my favorite episodes are not the movies that are in my top 10 necessarily or even at the top of like half of my list. Oh, agreed. I personally find that it is not interesting to gush over something for an hour. I mean, 
I will still say what it happened one night is my favorite episode we have ever done. Oh, and agreed. it's our, it's it's our best performing episode and too. And it's also um, the only episode far. that we've recorded twice. <laughs> I thought we had to re-record Zigfeld cuz you lost the audio. I'm sorry. It's one of two episodes <laughs> we had to record twice. <laughs> Which and I and I think that like the second recording is so much. I'm actually happy that that happened. That the audio was messed up mm-hmm. on the first time because I think the second time around is so much better. Well, and it was when we and were it is first doing episodes. this. So having yeah. that trial run really helped solidify our thoughts. I agree because it. God, what number of film is that? Um, it's it's the seventh winner. Yeah, and for those first like few episodes we were recording two episodes at a time so i feel like with that episode that's like where we really hit our stride and we kind of like become the best pictures podcast yes the best versions of the best pictures podcast <laughs> um and then it went all downhill from there well, yeah, that's uh, fine. but uh but like i'm i'm looking at like the other than that one most of the films that are in like my my top ones aren't my favorite episodes I mean, I still like them. I mean, honestly, the one that stands out for me is Cimarron. And I think you you share that. because I, I think that's a good episode. We went, it's our fourth episode. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, so it's actually even earlier than it happened one night. But I think, I think that's a, a solid episode for sure. Agreed. And I, I think, honestly, it's because we went full movie maintenance on it. <laughs> we, we basically just, we were so riled up about that episode, but we were like, this is how we would like this is how it could have been great which i think is really good um i really like our greatest show on earth episode i think that's a good episode i absolutely i like our gigi episode a lot (laughs) yes i love how that started (laughs) yeah that oh that's such a good intro um i also just love just being mad at gaston the whole time um I my second favorite episode. So my favorites that happened one night. My second favorite episode is an American in Paris. We also maintained the shit out of that one. It's a really good episode though, because we're just having fun with it. So I really like that episode. On it, I also like all our, our all the King's Men episode. I like a lot of our like. Maggie's lower, like I love all of my children, all of them. It's <laughs> not true. We have some episodes. I'm like eh on. And it's probably like Marty. Yeah, like that one's fine. I think like the apartment could have been better. I think by the end of Ben Hur, you can tell we've both been there for a while and we're getting really tired. Oh my and Lawrence of Arabia, for that matter. I think and both Lawrence of those of Arabia. We were just like, okay, this is epic, epically long. Also, Bridge on the River Quiet towards the end. You can tell we're getting tired because we recorded that. That's one of the only ones we've done a back-to-back recording on since like early in the podcast and we recorded that back to back with around the world in 80 days oh i'd forgotten that yeah that was like we don't really do that, that anymore because uh it's because all slog. of the films are like three hours definitely a long time like oh <laughs> yeah not that i don't enjoy watching most of these films it's just a lot to talk about in a well, day it's a lot because we and we're also usually watching them like the two days beforehand oh yeah but yeah, so I would I would say that I mean 
I like like and like I like our Casablanca episode too. I do think our All Quiet on the Western Front episode is actually pretty good too for our like third episode. But I just in general I feel like the ones that I have the most fun talking about are either the ones towards the end of our list that were like that was just a bad movie because we kind of get to roast it, or the ones that are in the middle because it's like there's good stuff and bad stuff. So like dissecting how you feel about it, I think, is really fun. Oh yeah, much. It's like I said, you can only gush about something or shit on something so much. <laughs> yeah. Complicated things are more interesting to me. So Agreed. 100% agreed. But yeah, I think, I guess, does that sum up what we were thinking for our lists? I know. Uh, I think so. I'm really happy where mine turned out. Same. Any last ones you want to talk about? Although I'm not going to lie, I am lying. That greatest show on earth and around the world in 80 days. And I'm like, should I flop them? <laughs> well, hey, I'm going to hold you to it. Uh, well, let me let me rephrase. I will hold you to it after this episode drops. Okay. So you have time to decide. So I, I could theoretically swap them and then just add an addendum that's like, I did it. I swapped them. <laughs> exactly. And that I will I will give you that permission. Like okay, you need cool. my permission anyway. Like <laughs> like like you listen back to any of the episodes that you don't edit. Nobody heard anything Maggie just said. I listened <laughs> I know, to I know. every episode of our podcast. <laughs> I know for a fact that that is not true. And that means that Ian, how many episodes of our podcast have you listened to? Like four? Uh, maybe five. Four or five? I did listen to the Sunset Boulevard one. Yeah? We edited that one together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. All right. So I think that wraps it up for our lists. I will definitely be updating our website that we have. Surprise! (laughs) (laughs) That has all of our lists on them. Um, So I will update that with our new updated lists. Um, I am also very pleased with mine. I'm happy we did this. I think we did this at a really good time, too. Agreed. Because we are about to enter arguably the best or the second best decade for Best Picture winners, I think. We're about to go into the 70s, so our next one will be, I think it's Patton. It is. Um, So we'll be doing Patton as our next canon episode. I have a feeling... That we're going to be doing a lot of special episodes during the 70s because, well, it's a lot of good films. It's a lot of downers. I mean, I can, as long as they're not quite as down as Midnight Cowboy. Uh... Oh, no. (laughs) I will steal myself. If that makes you feel better. (laughs) I feel like that would be a wonderful comedy to watch. It's not a comedy. (laughs) Do 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 I need to tell that story? Um, during that year, yes, you do need to tell that story because I just during made an oblique reference to an inside joke that no one's going to get unless we talk about it. <laughs> I'll explain it at a later date, but everybody just know that the first time I watched Deliverance, for some reason going into it, I was under the impression that I was about to watch a comedy. It's not a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, but uh, that's going to wrap it up for our list so see you next time when we do Patton. thanks for listening <laughs>